You don't know flag. You Don't Know Flat, a podcast full of stories about retro gaming, retro computing, video games, arcade games, and technology from a guy who was there and still is. My name is Rob O'Hara, but for the next 30 minutes, you can call me Flat. Episode 146, The Kong Off 3. Hello and welcome to episode 146 of You Don't Know Flack. Today is December 1st, 2013, and I am your host, Rob Flack O'Hara. On today's episode of You Don't Know Flack, we will be talking about the Kong Off 3, which took place in uh, November in Denver, Colorado. I have a little bit of housekeeping to do here. I really need to check the dates, apparently, and a few other things. So uh, let me go ahead and get this Episode started loading on my trusty Commodore 64, and while that's doing, we can check the dates here and spend a little time chatting during what I like to call loading time. Loading time. Loading time. Loading time. So how is everybody? I hope everybody had a good and fun and safe Thanksgiving holiday. Uh, If you are not in the United States... Uh, then maybe you don't know that last weekend or last Thursday was Thanksgiving. It's one of those convenient holidays that's always on a Thursday because we like to, uh, I guess, roll that up into a four-day weekend. That's what uh, I actually had a five-day weekend. I was off Wednesday through Sunday. So uh, we had a great Thanksgiving here. We uh, had family over. We actually ended up with about 18 people. We had my family, my wife's family. Uh, my sister came with her kids. Um, actually, I did something. If you don't follow my blog, I did something kind of neat. I have a 48-in-1 multicade arcade game um, that sits out in my garage, turned off year-round. I never play it. I never use it. There were some problems with it. But... Uh, on the last episode of Throwback Reviews, I and Sean and uh, Ferg from uh, 2600 Game by Game Podcast, we were talking about Thanksgiving. And one of the things we talked about was how Thanksgiving is kind of a different holiday for kids than it is for adults. Adults like to sit around and chat and drink coffee and, and eat food and relax. And the kids are kind of, you know, sent off to go do their old th- their own thing, really, Um and so I was trying to think of something that would be fun for all the kids to do. And so uh, I drug that arcade machine into our dining room, in the, the back dining room that we have a little small kind of nook area. And uh, I put it there and fired it up. And the kids, so after uh, after we ate, the kids went back there. By the kids, I mean everybody 12 and under and me uh, went back there and fired it up. And we played, yes, we played Donkey Kong. <laughs> Uh, but we played a lot of other games, too. We played Donkey Kong Jr. and Ms. Pac-Man and Galaga and Space Invaders and all these fun games that are built into uh, the 48-in-1 board. So um, that worked out pretty well. Uh, that, I don't know if that will be a new family tradition or not, but uh, it certainly kept the kids entertained and kept the kids in one room, and the adults were able to sit around and chat in the other room, and, and I think it worked out pretty good. And 
Actually, it's still sitting there right now. So it worked out so well that my kids have been playing it every day now. And I've been playing it quite a bit as well. I've, I've started, um, uh, I guess because of the Kong of 3, I, I've kind of got into Donkey Kong over the last couple of weeks. And um, Dig Dug is another game that I, I constantly, not constantly, but uh, every time I'm, I'm around MAME or a, or a machine or whatever, I, I try to better my Donkey Kong score and my Dig Dug score. Those are two games I try to play, and I'm not very good at either one. Uh, my high score in Donkey Kong is right at 40,000, which is not, not a good score. And for Dig Dug, it's in the uh, 80,000s, I think, is the last one I wrote down. So um, two games I like to play. I need to work on my score. But anyway, so Thanksgiving was good around here. I hope Thanksgiving was good for you. The last episode of You Don't Know Flack was the episode about podcasting, and I have received a lot of good feedback. In fact, I've received... Uh, feedback from two people who said that they listened to that episode and it inspired them to get started on making their own podcast. And that is probably the greatest news that I could have got out of that, you know? Uh, so that really worked out and, uh, I just really enjoyed all the submissions that I got for that. And, uh, so I thought that turned out really well and I'm, I'm glad the, uh, the people, you know, some people were inspired by it and, you know, it's got quite a bit of downloads, so. Uh, yeah, podcasting is fun. If you, uh, have ever thought about doing a podcast, you should go listen to that episode and hopefully it will, uh, uh, inspire you to get up and, and do a podcast like it did for me and, and like it did for a lot of people. So I am recording this episode in my computer room. I am not on the pod cart. Uh, I don't think I've talked about the pod cart on this show before, but I, I, um, the podcast started because I have a cat who likes to chew cables, and um, the cat has has cost me more money in iPhone charging cables than I care to count. Uh, but but that's not her only diet. She also likes USB cables, and and she chewed through the um, the power cable, the old power cable for my old laptop. I had to get another one. Uh, so the quietest room upstairs up here is the guest bedroom, which is also known as the Star Wars room, because that's where my uh, Star Wars collection is currently housed, but there's no permanent desk in there. So when I record podcasts, I take a TV tray in there, I take this other stool, I cover it with a blanket so that I won't get a weird echo while I'm talking. Um, it, it's, and, and then when I'm done, I have to break all that stuff down and put it back in the closet or put it back here in the computer room, which is, uh, right off of the guest bedroom. So I thought, you know, it'd be convenient if I had like a little cart on wheels that I could put all that stuff on. And so that's what I, I ended up buying a, um, a metal assemble it yourself, like a rolling tool cart from uh, one of the local tool stores. And it has been dubbed the pod cart. So for the most part, that's where I've been recording my shows. I don't know why I'm not over there. I'm just lazy. I'm in the computer room right now. And I was looking at the outline. I thought, you know what? I'm going to, I'm just going to go ahead and record right now. So I did not move to the pod cart, but uh, the pod cart has been pretty handy and I've been using it quite a bit. So I recommend you pick one up. <laughs> I highly recommend the pod cart as seen on TV or as seen on uh, robohara.com at least. Um, what else is going on? Let's see. I'm still doing, uh, Sprite Castle. I've been, uh, kind of took last week off for the holidays and I don't know if you can tell, but my th throat is entirely raw. I came back from the Kong off three and back from Denver 
uh, with a sore throat. I've been hacking up phlegm for about two weeks now. It's been a great time. My wife is the wimp of the two of us. She went to the doctor and got a shot and some prescriptions, and so she got over this in uh, oh, a few days. But uh, go to the doctors for wimps. I like to uh, stay sick for two or three weeks and uh, spread it around everybody I know. So that's what I'm doing right now. So like right now, I may edit this out. Uh, but if you can hear that, I will be sipping on uh, Kool-Aid throughout the episode. Keep my throat uh, from burning on fire like it is right now. So good times. So, um, yeah, Sprite Castle's kind of been on hold for about a week. But, um, but yeah, Sprite Castle's still basically going. Uh, I've had good feedback from that. We did the episode of Throwback Reviews uh, right before uh, the holidays. All about Thanksgiving, so that was good. And Throwback Network is is going crazy. Um, we added retro computing... Uh, round table. We added no quarter. Uh, there's a couple other shows that we're looking at adding right now. So it's just, um, throwback network. If you haven't checked out throwbacknetwork.net, you should head over there and, and look at all the, if you're into retro games and retro computers and stuff, uh, there's, there's something for everybody. And, uh, there's even a few, uh, movie related, uh, podcasts on our Del McCoy does a couple of movie related podcasts and sometimes throwback reviews does movies. Um, so yeah, lots of good stuff over there at uh, throwbacknetwork.net. So check that out. Oh, and on throwback network, if you look on the right hand side, there is a Amazon affiliate link. I really didn't understand how these work, but basically if you click on that link, uh, and then go to Amazon and buy something, it doesn't affect the price of what you buy, but a small, small percentage of the sale price goes to throwbacknetwork.net. And, uh, so if you're going to go do your holiday shopping or whatever, you can go click on that link first. It'll take you right to Amazon. Then you just browse Amazon, you know, like you normally would. And you buy something and it sends a few cents over to throwback network. So, and all that money right now is going to basically pay for hosting. So it's not like, uh, not like we're, we're going to fill our swimming pool with uh, gold coins like Scrooge McDuck and do the backstroke on them. Uh, but you know, it helps a little bit. I think basically, um, we've made enough money to cover about one week's worth of hosting. So, uh, good times over at throwback network, but it has, um, it has been awesome to put that together. And really it's, it's kind of funny because there's a lot of, I mean, all the shows that are on throwback network are all shows that I listened to before they were on there. But now I feel like obligated to listen to every episode for everyone that comes out. So my, my podcast listening uh, has gone up greatly since putting that together. And that, and that's, uh, been fun. I'm not complaining about it. It's, uh, I love listening to all the shows and everything. So anyway, go check that stuff out. If, uh, you have feedback about this episode or any episode, uh, any other episode of you don't know flack or anything about the network or this show or whatever, if you want to ask me about the weather, that's fine. You can always email your feedback to Rob O'Hara at robohara.com. Or you can leave a message for me on the You Don't Know Flag voice mailbox, which is getting very lonely. There are not very many messages in there. Uh, that number is area code 405-486-YDKF. That's 405-486 and then YDKF for You Don't Know Flag. Hey, and that little sound from the floppy drive next to me means that the show is fully loaded. So without further ado... I'm going to switch over to the pre-recorded show and get started with episode 146 of You Don't Know Flat, The Kong Off 3.
So based on my years of arcade collecting and buying and selling arcade cabinets, the most popular games I would say that I saw were Miss Pac-Man and Centipede. Um, you have uh, a generation that's older than that. Well, not a, not an entire generation, but the original gamers. I think there's a lot of love for the original space-type games like Asteroids and Space Invaders, but it was really Miss Pac-Man and Centipede and probably Galaga uh, were the top three that I saw, you know, people always looking for, people paying top dollar for. Um, Donkey Kong has always been a popular game, but I don't think it was one of the top three games uh, that I saw people collecting. But the 2007 documentary King of Kong, A Fistful of Quarters, really brought Donkey Kong back into the limelight. You know, that I think most people that are younger than me, uh, they know Donkey Kong and Donkey Kong Jr., but their love of Mario probably starts with Super Mario Brothers, um, either in the arcade or for the original Nintendo, the NES. Um, but the documentary, King of Kong, and I use the word documentary loosely, and I'm not going to get into on this show the inaccuracies that are portrayed in King of Kong. If you want to use Google, there are all kinds of articles out there that will refute a lot of the facts that are presented in King of Kong. I think of King of Kong actually as being a documentary like reality television is reality. I mean, when you see people on reality TV doing weird things uh, or not acting normal or having what my wife calls liar lips, uh, where their face, you can tell that they're not, you know, it's not a natural type conversation, uh, that's reality TV, and I think of King of Kong as being a documentary in that same vein, in which it is a, uh, it's a good movie, and it's a good story, I I don't think it is 100% truthful in how uh, things played out in reality, but anyway, uh, King of Kong starred Steve Wiebe and Billy Mitchell, Billy Mitchell, it was the reigning Donkey Kong champion, and Steve Wiebe is the new and up-and-coming unknown Donkey Kong player that's going to try to overthrow Billy Mitchell's high score. Um, One of the things that's not really mentioned in the film is that a lot of the time during the film, neither one of those guys had the world high score. It was held by a guy named Hank, and I hope his last name is pronounced Chin. Uh, It's C-H-I-E-N. But uh, so this guy, Hank, actually had the high score, and, and that's not even mentioned in the movie. But, um, you know, so it was really this film, King of Kong, that got people uh, talking about Donkey Kong and bringing Donkey Kong, or Donkey Kong being a game where people all of a sudden wanted to compete for uh, the world record. So a slight side story here. At my job, we have something called user-lose vacation. And user lose vacation is vacation that uh, once you hit a certain amount can't be carried over to the next year. So if you don't use this vacation, it just goes away. You don't get paid for it. You don't get to take it off next year. It's It just disappears. And I've always said I will never let that happen. I will always take vacation days. I, I don't like the thought of losing my vacation, vacation time that I've earned, that would simply go away. So uh, because of some of the projects I worked on this year, it's been a really hard year to take time off. I worked on a project through May, the beginning of the year through May, and so I wasn't able to take time off. And then I had about a month 
uh, of some downtime. And so I was able to, we took, that's when we took our family vacation this year. And then, uh, things ramped back up in June and went until, uh, right up before the furlough. If you remember me talking about that, I was furloughed for October. So I couldn't take vacation before that and I couldn't take vacation during the furlough. And so what ended up happening is by the time I came back to work at the end of October, uh, I still have four weeks of vacation that I needed to take in basically November and December. So I started combing through and saying, well, I could take some time off around Christmas and I could take some time off around Thanksgiving, but I still had some vacation days to use. And then right around that time is when I saw a story about the Kong Off 3. And the Kong Off 3 took place in Denver on November 15th through 17th. That's a Friday, Saturday, Sunday. And Denver is about a nine to 10 hour drive from here, from Oklahoma City. So I thought, well, you know, if I took off Thursday, I could drive up and then I'd be there for the tournament Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and I could take off Monday to drive home. So that would kill three days of vacation, which is good. And I would get to go to a nationally sanctioned Donkey Kong tournament, which is not something that a lot of people can say. It's also not something that a lot of people want to say, but for me, you know, I'm all about the adventure. So, uh, that's what I did. I took those vacation days off and I left Thursday morning. That would have been, uh, Denver, Denver bound on November 14th. That Thursday morning I got up. I love cross country drives where the instructions are like one or two sentences to get to Denver from Oklahoma city. Here's how you do it. Take I-35 north to I-70, hang a left. That's it. You go north for a few hours, you hang a left, and then eventually that interstate runs into Denver. So it's really like, you know, just one turn. As long as you, as long as you hit that one turn, you can make it to Denver. So, uh, that was my plan and that's what I did. I got up Thursday morning. Um, Thursday evening, there was a showing of the arcade documentary, The Space Invaders, that was taking place. And Mike McGinnis, you may know that name from the No Quarter podcast, bought some tickets. He bought extra tickets for this showing and uh, said that if anybody showed up, that they could have a ticket. And so, so that was my plan. That's what I did. I got up Thursday morning. And I drove to Denver. I drove north on I-35. I hung a left on I-70 uh, in Salina, Kansas. And I got to Denver. I got there in enough time to make the screening of the Space Invaders. I met Mike McGinnis there in the mall. And uh, the two of us went in. Uh, the first person we met when we walked in was the filmmaker, uh, Jeff Von Ward. He's the uh, director of the Space Invaders. That The whole title is The Space Invaders in Search of Lost Time. Um, unfortunately, and this is terrible, I guess people have things to do on weeknights, or maybe it just wasn't advertised well, I don't know. But with there was Jeff, Mike, and I, and then one other couple in the theater. And uh, I know Mike has mentioned on No Quarter that he had already seen the movie. I had already seen the movie. I'm assuming um, Jeff Von Ward had already seen the movie. And then the other couple, whenever they left, they said something to the effect of uh, it looks so good on the big screen or something like that, which made me think that they had seen the movie. So it was really a movie theater with five people sitting in there, and all of us have already seen this movie. 
Um, so I thought it was a, a little, I wish more people had come out for it, to be honest. Um, uh, you, you know, you always feel bad when, when somebody tries to put something on and there's a low turnout, but, uh, Mike and I both enjoyed the movie. Uh, I don't, I don't want to speak for Mike, but, uh, uh, I think that he enjoyed the movie and I enjoyed the movie. It's great to see, um, you know, it basically what it, it's a documentary about people who collect arcade games and if set up uh, basement arcades. And as you know, uh, I used to own uh, lots and lots of arcade games. Well, the most I, I had at one time was 30, but I was I was doing the numbers, and I think the whole time I collected, I bought and sold around 100 arcade games, uh, but 30 was the most I had at any one time. So I enjoyed uh, looking at the video of other people's arcades, I mean, their home arcades, their game rooms, and seeing how they had decorated it and hearing some of the stories about collecting and stuff. So um, I thought it was uh, I thought it was a good film. And uh, afterwards, Mike and I stood around. We talked to um, Jeff Von Ward for a while. Uh, I ended up buying the collector's edition, which has the film on Blu-ray and then two additional DVDs of extra material, all kinds of stuff. So um, that was really cool. Um and uh, Mike bought that. He bought a T-shirt. He bought um, a uh, – he actually – we got a deal, um, a discount deal for buying two posters, and Mike gave me one of those. So uh, I have a The Space Invaders film poster. So maybe uh, if I ever put together another game room, I'll, I'll frame that and put that in there. But uh, So that's that was Thursday night, like I said. And that really kicked off not only the whole weekend. It got me in the mood. It got me into – thinking about arcade games and collecting games and, and arcade machines and all that. So it really kind of set the tone for the whole weekend, I would say. Um, so let's go to Friday morning. Well, that night, after Mark and I parted ways, I went over to my friend Rob Sherwin's house. Now, uh, Rob Sherwin, he was on an episode of You Don't Know Flack, the one about text adventures. And I really... Here we go. Episode 115 uh, of You Don't Know Flat was about text adventures. And um, Rob is a interesting guy all the way around. I mean, he has a lot of interesting hobbies. He likes old computers. He likes old games. Uh, he writes interactive fiction, what I call text adventures. But, uh, I mean, his are, are way above the, the old uh, level. He's working on a new one right now called Cybergate which is basically like an RPG, but written using a text adventure engine. And, and uh, I mean, I've seen some of the stuff uh, that he's working on or whatever. It's just, uh, it's just mind blowing, uh, you know, what people are doing in that art form, but he does that. Uh, and he's also a fellow arcade collector. And Rob has, I think about 15 games in his basement arcade. And I got to tell you, and I'm not just saying this because, uh, you know, Rob's my friend. Um, when I had 30 games, I would say on any given day, probably 10 of them had problems. Uh, and I mean, by problems, I mean unplayable, you know, like monitors being out or power supplies. Um, some were minor problems, maybe joysticks stopped working or whatever. Um, but it was like a full-time job. And I've said that before to maintain that many arcade games at once was literally, it was like having an arcade that you had to keep open. And, um, the other thing that I've said about my own collection is that I ended up with a lot of games that I didn't really care about owning. You know, Scramble is the one that I joke about, uh, cause I hate Scramble and I ended up owning two Scramble machines over the years, which is ridiculous. Um, it's like, how do you accidentally buy arcade games that you hate? But, um, 
somehow I got it down. <laughs> but Rob's collection is, uh, Rob Sherwin's, I should clarify, is top notch. I mean, he has, when you walk in on the right hand side, I'm trying to think there's a, um, a multi Williams, uh, the, the good one with, with the Defender and Stargate and that stuff. There's, uh, I think almost everything else he has is dedicated. Um, there's a, but there's an asteroids. Um, there's a Marble Madness, which got some play. There's a Miss Pac-Man and a Qbert, of course. There's a Food Fight. There's a Tempest. There's a Defender. I mean, it just on and on. It, it's just a a stellar collection. And then at the end uh, of his row of stuff, he has a Tron Legacy pinball machine, and uh, which he bought new, and and it's an absolutely fantastic condition. And, uh, I mean, even if you're not a pinball guy, you have to, he did this little mod to it. I should mention, uh, where on the pinball table, there's a little tiny miniature, uh, Tron arcade cabinet, but he upgraded that and bought a replacement. And this is a a Tron cabinet. That's, I mean, like, I don't know, four inches tall, three or four inches tall. And he upgraded it to one that's actually running MAME and it, boots up into the Tron attract screen on this little tiny miniature screen. It's unbelievable. Um, so anyway, uh, so Rob is a, a fellow arcade collector. He's into old games and stuff like that. So Friday we got up and we headed over to the one up. Now there in Denver, there are two arcades that are related. There's the one up and there's the two up the Kong off three took place at the one up. And so we headed over there. Uh, when we got there, they were still setting up for the tournament. So let me explain what it looked like inside there. First of all, um, I got this article off the internet talking about the one up. Uh, this is what it says located in, uh, Lodo, Denver. I guess that's lower downtown, 1925. Blake features more than 45 classic arcade games, 16 pinball machines, three lanes of classic skee ball and multiple sets of giant Jenga. And then it talks about the beers that they have on tap. Uh, so it is a bar. I mean, in the middle of the arcade is a, is a bar that you would see in any bar. Uh, but all the way around on the walls, all the way around the left-hand side, when you walk in, the left-hand side is pinball. There's some stuff in the, the back. And then all these, these classic games they mentioned are on the right-hand wall. Now, when we arrived... Most of the classic games on the right-hand side had been removed and were replaced with Donkey Kong machines. There were, we counted, 22 restored Donkey Kong cabinets. It was, this is going to make me sound geekier than I already do, one of the most beautiful things I've ever seen. (laughs) Just, um, you know, if you go to YouTube, you go to places and you can find uh, some old retro footage of arcade games being built. Uh, I know I saw, I just saw one recently of like assembly line. Actually, I think it's in um, the space invaders documentary. Uh, but like, there's a shot where there's a row of centipede cabinets and it looks unnatural because that's not something that we normally saw. Normally when you went to an arcade, uh, there may have been arcades that had like two of the same game or something like that. But, you know, I would, I would, count on one hand the times I saw that. Most of the time, they had different games. So to see 22 of the same game lined up is is weird. It's not something you normally see. And in fact, down past that, 
they had a dedicated – I've heard people talk about the Donkey Kong, the Pauline edition, where the roles have been swapped and you play as Pauline and you rescue Mario. They have a dedicated cabinet for that, and they have a Donkey Kong 2 cabinet. Um, there was uh, a few different machines down there that some other high score attempts were being attempted on, like a Tron machine, some Satan's Hollow machines. Um, so above all the Donkey Kong machines, they had installed flat panel televisions. So each Donkey Kong machine had a little wireless video camera attached to it. I think they were wireless. And, uh... It was broadcasting the gameplay video of each player up onto those flat screen televisions. And the flat screen, the video was divided into thirds. So for each three machines, you could look up overhead and see, you know, so you didn't have to look over someone's shoulder and watch them play Donkey Kong. You could stand back a little bit and look up at these TVs um, and see the games in progress. So um, I would say... Now, and so, so we were there and they started playing Donkey Kong. Uh, and I was there with Rob Sherwin and I was there with, uh, we met Mike McGinnis and Mike's friend, uh, Data Jerk, uh, who I also know off of Twitter was there. And now th- this is just me speaking. I don't want to speak for everybody. I would say on a scale of one to 10, one being terrible and 10 being the most excited, I would rate attending a national Donkey Kong tournament. Being able to say that I was at the Kong of three, uh, is about a seven out of 10. Like, I think that's, that's something pretty cool that you could tell arcade people that you attended the Kong of three. Staying at the Kong of three and watching people play Donkey Kong for hours, I would put it about a two. <laughs> um, it's not very exciting to watch people unless you are really into Donkey Kong. And I'll say this. I watched a few of the games, not the entire game, because uh, a game from uh, the beginning to the kill screen, if you could get that far, I think it takes about two and a half hours. So we didn't watch a full game, but uh, just watching, you know, some of the first levels and watching how these guys play made me realize how terrible I am at Donkey Kong. I mean, seeing some of the techniques that they use to um, gain more points, seeing, oh, you know, do they get the hammer? Do they not get the hammer? Do they stay around and jump barrels for as long as they can? Or do they run up, you know, quickly and try to get the bonus? Those type of things that you just don't know what a person, you know, a, a high score type person uh, does. And so after watching that, I'm like, oh, okay, that's how they do that. So I thought that was interesting. Um, while they were setting up the television screens and wiring up the cameras and doing all that, all of the uh, contestant-type people, I mean, everybody that was going to be in the tournament, were there and mulling around. Uh, and so we saw Billy Mitchell walking through the crowd, and I was like, hey, there's Billy Mitchell. He's very um, unmistakable, obviously, if you've seen the film. he's First of all, he's very tall. I don't know how tall he is. Um, in King of Kong, Billy Mitchell is portrayed as a bad guy. He does some underhanded things to try to thwart Steve Wiebe and to convince uh, Twin Galaxies to throw out Steve Wiebe's high score. Um, I have not spent any time around Billy Mitchell other than meeting him at the Kong Off 3 and talking to him for two minutes. I will say that uh, the entire time he was there, 
He was very nice. He was very polite. It took him about 10 minutes to walk from one side of the bar to the other because so many people wanted to stop, shake his hand, say hi, take a picture with him. And he did that for every single person that was there. So the guy may be a big giant creep in real life. I don't know. Um, I think people, you know, both he and everybody involved in King of Kong have come out and said that uh, it's not entirely accurate the way he was depicted. Um, so I can't tell you about that stuff. I can tell you what I saw uh, in that. Uh, I, I was talking to uh, Exidy, who's one of the owners of the One Up and who does a lot of buying and selling arcade stuff with uh, my buddy Rob. And so as we were talking, Exidy hollered at Billy Mitchell and said, hey, come over here. These guys want a picture. And so Billy Mitchell came over and Billy Mitchell yelled at Walter Day, who is the uh, older gentleman that wears a referee shirt that you probably remember from King of Kong. He is with Twin Galaxies. And Walter Day came over. And so I got my picture with uh, me and Billy Mitchell and Walter Day. And then what was funny is apparently I think uh, there were some people there that thought that I was part of the tournament or something because then there was a girl that came and got in front of or next to me and had a picture taken with me and Billy Mitchell and Walter Day and her. So I'm sure somebody somewhere is at home scratching their head wondering who this fat guy is <laughs> in this girl's Donkey Kong uh, tournament picture. You tell her it's Flagster, baby, the author of Invading Spaces, the beginner's guide to collecting arcade games. So, um, so we talked to, uh, Billy Mitchell. We talked to Walter Day. Everybody we talked to was genuinely nice. Uh, and then we saw Steve Wiebe. Steve Wiebe was sitting on a bar stool playing Donkey Kong. He had his face in the machine. Um, I never saw, I mean, I'm sure, I'm sure he had to walk to and from that machine. We were there several times. I never saw him move. I never saw him get up. I didn't see him. I know that he's a um, somewhat of a shy person. Uh, so I, so I'm, I'm not talking bad about him, but I'm just saying there's a difference in personalities. Obviously, Steve Wiebe was there to play Donkey Kong, whereas, um, you know, the other guys are known more for their personalities, I think. I mean, they're, they're still, Billy Mitchell still, um, you know, one time had the, uh, world record for Donkey Kong. So it's not like he doesn't know how to play the game, but I would just say, you know, being there, part of it would seem like a, a promotional and, and that kind of reflects his score. And I'll, we'll, we'll be talking about that later on in the episode. Um, so after we spent some time there at the one up, um, <clears throat> we headed out and, um, one of the things we did, um, well, we, what we did was, we decided to go out and visit some of the other local arcades around that area. And so we ended up driving to Lyons, Colorado, uh, which is uh, maybe about 45 minutes away. And there are two places there next door to each other. One is the Lions Classic Pinball Arcade, and the other one is Oscar Blues Club. Uh, and they are next door to one another. Lions Classic Pinball is home to over 30 pinball machines and they have some great pinball machines there. They have, um, one called, I want to say it's mammoth. It's, it's a gigantic pinball table that uses, uh, it can use pool balls, like a pool cue ball as the pinball. It's that big. Um, they had, um, 
Twilight Zone, Adam's Family, you know, a lot of uh, classic type stuff. They had an entire room of music-based pinball machines. So in there they had ACDC, Metallica, Rolling Stones. Um, they had a Tommy pinball table, and then they had the Captain Fantastic uh, Elton John table. Uh, so that room was really cool. Oh, Guns N' Roses was in there. Um, there were some unique ones I have never played. They had a uh, a head-to-head joust pinball machine. I've never seen that before. And basically you face the other player, and uh, you play the game, and, and you try to get more points on them, and you can shoot the ball over to them, and there's multiple balls going on at the same time. There's another one called uh, Bonsai. I think it's Bonsai Run, where you shoot the pinball up into the back glass, and then you use flippers to try and, and shoot it up higher and higher and higher uh, through like a little play field. And it's very unique. In fact, it said it was uh, the only pinball machine where you can put the ball up into the back glass. So uh, we had a great time at Lions Classic Pinball. It did say that they had a couple of arcade games. They had an environmental discs of Tron, and then they had a multicade. But, I mean, if you're the multicade, We've got them all over the place. I mean, it's not a special deal. I got one in my kitchen. <laughs> but um, Environmental Disatron, if you're only going to have, you know, one game, I guess that's the one to have. Uh, and I did play that a little bit, and uh, so that was fun to see. Uh, then we went next door to the Oscar Blues Club. There was a blues band. I don't think it was really blues. There was a girl playing the fiddle and guy with a stand-up bass and... Uh, uh, because there was a band playing, there was a $5 cover charge to get in. Uh, so we paid the 5 bucks and then walked right past the band, which is no offense to the band, and we went down to their little basement arcade, and down there they had about 15 machines. Um, and I'm trying to think of some of the ones that were down there. I, we played, um, well, we saw Battlezone. Uh, I'm pretty sure they had a Qbert. I'm pretty sure they had Tron. Um, what else was down there? They had... A bunch of cabaret cabinets. They had a, a Dig Dug cabaret, a Centipede cabaret, a Gorf cabaret, and I think maybe a, either Pac-Man or Miss Pac-Man, but cabarets, you know, the, the smaller size cabinets. Um, so I thought that was pretty cool. Uh, they also had a multi-cade. Uh, we played some Gorf. Uh, oh, we played Paperboy. They had a Paperboy machine down there, and that was fun. Uh, so anyway... Denver uh, has really got, you know, a lot of retro arcade things going on. It's really a lot of fun. So Saturday morning we got up. We went back to the one-up. We watched more of the Donkey Kong tournament. We got to watch uh, Hank Chin play. Like I said, Hank Chin is the current world record holder. Um, So we watched a few people. And then uh, the four of us, that's me, Rob, uh, Mike, and uh Data Jerk went back to Rob's house to play around at Rob's arcade. I told you about Rob's arcade. I mean, it's really nice, and um, it was it was uh, very gracious of him to invite everybody back. So we sat around, we played uh, some games, we uh, drank some beer, we played some more games, we drank some more beer. Um, and Rob even had uh, on the I think it was on the Atari computer uh, a Warlords game, and so. Uh, at the end, we ended up sitting around this uh, TV he has on this couch down there and just playing Warlords and stuff. Just a really fun time. And, uh, you know, I, I think for people that enjoy arcade games, 
like you can meet a complete stranger. I've actually done this where uh, at an arcade auction, you go and there's somebody that you've never met and there may be a game up for sale and you start talking about that game and you strike up an entire conversation. Two people that have never met and may never been in the same state before uh, can have a conversation about arcade games because even though they've never met, they still have similar memories about those games and, and um, common things to talk about. And so even though uh, I had never met Mike in person before and, and I ne- or, or Datager, and they had never met me in person or uh, Rob Sherwin or in- interacted online even with them, uh, you know, we were, it was, it was completely fun time to go down there and play pinball and play arcade games or whatever. And uh, so it was really a good time. And really uh, thanks to Rob for, for letting everybody come over and do that. Um, that evening, I went over to Mike's house and I had brought my uh, podcast equipment. We didn't end up needing to use it, but I knew uh, Mike had told me Saturday night that they would be recording that that weekly episode of No Quarter Podcast. So uh, normally it's Mike and uh, Carrington Vanston, uh, who's from Canada, and they connect over, uh, I think they use, I don't know if they use Google Hangouts or Skype. I think they use Skype, um, but they, they do their podcast. And so we played a trick on Carrington, and then I snuck into the room. Uh, that was fun. So I got to sit in on an entire podcast, and uh, uh, so I was really grateful that Mike had me over and, and that we got to do that. So that that was a really fun time. And again, uh, you know, it's just that common bond of, arcade games and arcade stuff where you can uh, just hop in on a conversation and talk about an old game, you know. So so uh, we had a good time. Now, Sunday was the last day of the tournament, and so uh, we got up. Actually, we got kind of a slow start on Sunday, Rob and I did, and Rob had brought out his Vectrex, and Rob has probably, I don't know, 20 Vectrex games, including a multi-cart and some other stuff, so... We spent a little time playing Vectrex games. That was fun. Uh, and then we went to the 2-Up, which the 2-Up, like I said, is the sister arcade of the 1-Up. I believe it has it's slightly smaller in size, but um, it didn't seem small inside at all. I would say they had 15 to 20 pinball machines and then probably another 30 classic arcade games. They also had uh, Paperboy, and so we played some Paperboy. We played a lot of the Metallica pinball machine. I'm really addicted to that specific pinball game right now. Um, we played, uh, they had a Playboy pinball table, which was not the one that I've normally seen. And this one actually had um, nude women on the play field and on the back glass. I had not seen that one before. So we kept joking about playing that one. Like, oh, we should go try that. And then we were like, giggling, you know, like, hee hee, you know, and, and we're the only people in the place. And so finally we're like, all right, well, we'll go do that. And so we go over there. And of course, the minute we did, these girls come into the bar and then they're like, oh, look at these guys, these perverts playing the, the pinball, the uh, naked pinball table. Or like, you know, you want to say like, well, we've been playing, you know, these other ones, but doesn't matter. They already decided that we were, we were perverty guys, but I didn't care. Pinball's pinball. I did play the Guns N' Roses one. They had a sweet, WWF uh, table that I played once or twice. I wasn't very good at, but there was a guy that was right next to where we were that was playing it. And uh, uh, every time, I guess there's some bonus, every time you launch the ball around, you get uh, Macho Man Randy Savage who says, oh, yeah. 
And so the whole time we're sitting there playing, that machine just keeps going, oh, yeah, oh, yeah. <laughs> Dozens of times. It was very hard not to uh, not to continually laugh at it. But um, uh, So that was fun. And we hung out. Uh, Rob was wanting to watch the uh, Saints football game. And so the bartender put on the game for us. We hung around there. We played lots of, lots of pinball, lots of arcade games. And uh, then when we were done there, um, Rob had some other stuff to do. So I went back over to the one-up, and they were just wrapping up the tournament. There were one or two players left playing their final. I guess 6 p.m. was uh, the last quarter in, they said, the last drop. So you could start a game at 6, and then after that, no more quarters in. And there were uh, two or three players still playing, and then you know, one by one they would they would die off. Um, and then they did the... Uh, uh, they tallied all the scores, and it wasn't a big surprise because there was a big digital uh, scoreboard showing who had the first place, who had second place, or whatever. Uh, but a young man, 23-year-old Jeff Wilms of Waterloo, Ontario, won the Kong Off 3. Congratulations to Jeff. Jeff also won the Kong Off 2, so he was not um, necessarily an unknown Donkey Kong player. His score was 1 million... 96,200. So to put that in perspective, uh, if you drop the 1 million off the front and his score is only 96,000, that's about three times higher than what I could get. Uh, so I am not Donkey Kong, Kong off four material. It's going to take a lot of training for me to somehow improve my 40,000 point score, um, by another million points. Uh, and second place was uh, Ross Benziger, I believe that's how you say that, uh, who was 29,000 points behind that 1,096,200 score. Um, I believe, I'm scrolling down here real quick, um, Hank Chin uh, got third place. Uh, and then Steve Wiebe got fifth place. Now, uh, even though there were 22 machines, I did read that there were 32 competitors, and on Friday, 10 of them were eliminated. Uh, so for the main tournament, there were 22 machines and 22 players. Billy Mitchell got 22nd place. His score was just under 600,000 points. Billy Mitchell is a better Donkey Kong player than that, which tells me that I think in some of these things, he possibly he shows up for the PR uh, and that he's not showing up to actually win uh, a Donkey Kong tournament. One thing I, I thought was interesting, because uh, when I looked up about this, it mentioned that Billy Mitchell uh, was born in 1965. That makes him 48 years old. Um, the winner of the tournament is 23 years old. So uh, doing the math, he would have been born, when, 1990? And Donkey Kong came out in, uh, what, 81? So, uh, I think movies like King of Kong, that's my opinion anyway, uh, have introduced Donkey Kong and Donkey Kong competitions and high score competitions to a new generation of players. Obviously, if they're competing on games that came out before they were born. But I did think it was interesting that a 23-year-old player beat all the guys that have been playing this all along. Uh, so anyway, that's pretty much a summary of the Kong Off 3 and my, uh, my experience at the Kong Off 3. Um, I did, 
enjoy the, all the arcades that were in Denver. You know, I have, uh, I mentioned on other shows that I have been driving around sometimes just when I'm near them, sometimes on specific, you know, trips that I've gone to a lot of retro arcades and, um, but I don't know that I've been to a town that had that many that were that close. Um, so yeah, if you're ever in the Denver area and you're a retro type gamer, I know Chicago has several too. Um, and I've been to the Galloping Ghost, but I haven't been to the other ones that are up there. Um, but, uh, Denver, yeah, between the one up, the two up, the, uh, Lions Pinball Place, the arcade over at Oscar's Bar. Uh, and there's some other places around there too that we just didn't have time to hit. So definitely a, uh, hot spot for retro gaming and retro arcade, uh, type playing. So in retrospect, I would say the trip was pretty much what I expected it to be. I did find it exciting to be at the Donkey Kong tournament. I did not find it exciting to watch people play uh, for more than about five or ten minutes. Um, I think arcade games are uh, less of a spectator sport and more of a interactive type sport. Uh, more fun to play them than to watch people. Even though they're really good, it's still more fun for me to play them poorly than to watch great players play them. But uh, uh, I thought the uh, location was very cool. Um, it was nice for, uh, Exidy, for the other guys to, uh, take time out. I know they're busy during the tournament to come over and talk to us. Um, and like I said, all the guys, uh, you know, Billy Mitchell and, um, Walter Day and everybody else that, that took a few minutes to talk to us, uh, they were all really nice guys. So yeah, I had a good time. I don't know that I'll go to the Kong off four or not. Uh, I guess we'll see if I have a use or lose vacation next year. And, uh, if so, then maybe I will. Anyway, this wraps up another episode of You Don't Know Flack. I hope you enjoyed this. I hope uh, maybe you'll go in there. This will inspire you to go in and play some Donkey Kong and send me your Donkey Kong high scores. You send me your high scores and, and no fibbing. you got to tell me the truth. But you send me your scores, and I will uh, talk about that on the air on the next episode of You Don't Know Flack. So uh, to everybody, say special thanks to uh, Rob Sherwin for having me out and putting me up and uh, go into the stuff. Um, and I had a great time hanging out with him and, and uh, a great time meeting and hanging out with Mike McGinnis and uh, meeting Datajert and, and everybody else that, uh, that we ran into and had fun with in Denver. Uh, so with that, I guess this wraps up my Kong Off 3 episode. Uh, we will be back next weekend. Hopefully I won't have such a sore throat next weekend. Uh, but I will be back with another episode of You Don't Know Flag. So thanks again for listening, and I will see you next week.